This past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we began the great fast of the church. Uh, Lent is here, and I, for one, am excited. I love Lent. Uh, Eric, I felt like I was back up at the Shota house uh, with the chanting and the music. Wonderful. And what is Lent? What is it that we're doing? Well, one definition of Lent is this, that it is a 40-day sojourn in the wilderness with Jesus, where by virtue of our union with him, clothed with the armor of God, armed with spiritual disciplines such as prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, aided by angels and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we do battle with and share in Christ's victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Thus, we have gone into the wilderness to pick a fight. But thanks be to God, we do not enter the fray alone, nor are we ill-equipped. Brothers and sisters, we as members of the body of Christ are at war, and not just during Lent, but for the whole of our lives. So we can think of Lent as an intensification of an ongoing conflict, where the body of Christ and her head go on the offensive, where we sharpen our skills in the fight against temptation. Here again, the words of today's collect, wherein we petitioned God the Father, saying, Make speed to help thy servants who are assaulted by manifold temptations. Note the violent, militaristic language, assaulted by manifold temptations. And these assaults are continuous, not in the sense that the intervals are regular or that the intensity of the temptations is flat, but in that the enemies of your soul never call for a ceasefire. This is not to say, God forbid, that you cannot conquer your temptations or that your particular temptations will always be the same throughout your life. However, know this, and this is not meant to discourage you. It's just real talk from your priest. You won't reach a level of spiritual maturity where you cease to be in the struggle, where you cease to be tempted. In fact, the more that you progress in the spiritual life, the higher you ascend up the holy mount, the more intense the battle will become. Because you become a threat to the establishment, to the pandemonium of the kingdom of darkness. Just read the Bible. Read the lives of the saints. I often think of the desert fathers who had conquered the sins of the flesh. Those over whom the world had no sway. They left the world. Didn't care anything about worldly things at all. Yet, they were ruthlessly attacked by the evil one. This is the whole sermon. We are in a battle. There is a battle for our souls. The enemies thereof 
are attacking us, tempting us. And of this reality, we must be aware if we want to make any progress in the Christian life. And moreover, the captain of the ship, the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of the ship, which is the Ark of Salvation, which is the church, is calling us to our battle stations so that by his presence and by his power, we can defend and fight against and be victorious over temptation. Now, what is temptation? Temptation is that which draws and entices you away from God, away from the light and toward the darkness. That which, if given into, will quell the love of God and neighbor and will mar the likeness of God in which you were created and for which you were redeemed. Sin is dehumanizing. Sin is non-being. Thus, temptation is enticing us to be subhuman. And it is critical to understand, especially those of you with scrupulous consciences, it's important to understand that temptation is not synonymous with sin. If temptation is heated, it gives birth to sin. But the temptation is not sin in itself. Moreover, the urge to sin, the recognition of the appeal of sin, and even the initial delight of the lower self, if you will, those are not sin. The threshold between temptation and sin is the will. Have you consented and thought word or deed towards sin? If not, then you have not sinned. There are many a Christian whose conscience is burdened, whose heart is heavy because of temptation, because of their struggles. But Father, Matt, you wouldn't believe the awful, wicked, deplorable thoughts that come into my mind. First of all, yeah, I would. And I probably wouldn't be surprised or even scandalized. You are not your thoughts. You are not the sum of your temptations and struggles. You are a child of God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have been united with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his power, not your own, in his power... And by the weapons with which he has equipped his bride, the church, his shield maiden, if you will, you can not only fight, but win. Sun Tzu in The Art of War, the book, not the Wesley Snipes movie. Thank, thank you, Ed, you've seen it. He writes this. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. We in the Christian life need to know our enemy, our enemies, the enemies of our souls, 
the sources of temptation, which are, here's the big three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now we're going to be talking about these a lot throughout Lent. They come up in our lessons, but just a brief overview. What's the world? The world, as in the cosmos, the creation, and the creatures which inhabit the world are not the enemies of Christ and the church. God created the world and saw that it was good. God created man and saw that he was very good. And God became man in Jesus Christ so that the world might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. However, the creation, the world, on account of the fall, on account of our other two enemies, the flesh and the devil, and we'll get to those, the world can be a source of temptation. We can be tempted to enjoy the creation as ends in themselves, partaking in food, drink, or sex without reference to God or in place of him altogether, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. There are things in this world that are, morally speaking, neutral. And there is much that is good. Gifts from God. But they could be perverted, twisted. Not unrelated to the above, the term world in Holy Scripture can take on a more insidious definition. It's used negatively as a pejorative, and it denotes humanity in rebellion to God. This is the sense of the word that the Apostle John is getting at when he writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. He's not saying don't love humanity. Don't love and care for and appreciate the creation. He's not saying that John 3.16 is a crock, that God loved the world. He's saying do not love Humanity in rebellion to God don't love and engage in a way of being that is set against the things of God. Don't love that which is devoid of love. A way of being which is devoid of life and therefore non-being. The world is, in this sense, is an enemy of our souls because the world and its ways are opposed to the kingdom of God and pragmatically a sojourn and vanity fair will only lead to destruction. As quoted above, Sun Tzu said, not only to know your enemies, but to know yourself. And to know yourself as a human being, as a Christian, is to know that one of our enemies namely the flesh, is the enemy within the gate. Now, the word flesh, like virtually all words, has multiple meanings. And in Scripture, there are varied positive and negative uses of the word. For example, when we read in Galatians that the spirit and the flesh war against one another, 
We are not being taught that the corporeal plane of existence is bad, that matter is evil, that the material is inherently wicked, and that the immaterial is inherently good. Even a cursory reading, pick, pick a book in the Bible, even a cursory reading of Holy Scripture refutes such an interpretation. Again, God created the world, and it was good. And moreover, the resurrection of Christ is the reaffirmation of the goodness of creation. The age to come will not be experienced uh, in a disembodied manner, but in an embodied mode of being. Resurrected, glorified bodies. And of course, the word became flesh. The Greek word is sarks and dwelt among us. That is, he became human. He became like us in every respect except for sinfulness. But when flesh is used negatively in Holy Scripture, it refers to our fallenness, to our disordered souls, to our bestial animal nature ruled by the passions, that is, by sinful desires. And it is the flesh, in this sense, that is our most formidable foe. Because without our disordered desire, our propensity toward sin, the allure of the world and the wiles of the devil would be wholly unsuccessful. St. Catherine of Genoa said this, Ever fight self, and you need not trouble about any other foe. Finally, there is our adversary, the devil, who is truly the evil one. There's nothing good or even neutral regarding him and his ends. As mentioned above, things in the world are good or neutral and can be twisted. The desires of the flesh, of our animal nature, are from God. Sensible pleasure, whether food, drink, or sex, are gifts from God. But they and our relationship to them can be perverted. Our desire for them can become disordered. Even Satan was created good, but he has definitively and eternally chosen evil. He lives only to spite God and to war against his children. The devil and his angels come only to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan is, as scripture tells us, the father of lies. And to quote the movie, The Unusual Suspects, probably more of you have seen that than Wesley Snipes' Art of War. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And I'll add this, convincing many Christians that he's nothing more than the superstition of an unenlightened age. 
No, the devil does not have horns, a tail, or pitchfork. And even in the Middle Ages, if I can defend the Middle Ages, these were symbols employed to represent as symbols, that's what symbols do, the unseen. There is a world beyond the five senses. There are higher planes of reality, and we ignore or reject that truth to our own intellectual poverty and, moreover, at our spiritual peril. I hesitate to say this because I've I've heard it used so many times as a weapon to bludgeon people in theological discussions. But here it is. I'm going to say it anyways. Just know I'm not bludgeoning you. That Satan is real is the clear teaching of Holy Scripture, the apostles, the fathers, and most importantly, our Lord. It is a dominical teaching. More on that anon. But above is a brief sketch of our enemies, and wow, we're up against it, are we not? (laughs) We are beset by powerful enemies. And this can be overwhelming. It can lead, especially if you've ever seriously fought against temptation, you've you've ever been serious in your life about sanctification, about by the power of the Holy Spirit becoming holy as your Lord is holy, it can seem hopeless. It can seem that it's an uphill climb that you'll never reach the summit. But we should not be overwhelmed. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We're in a battle, but the battle, the war has been won. And we know how the story is going to end. Jesus Christ has conquered the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. For you. He didn't need to do that. He did it for you so that in him, you would be victorious. St. Augustine of Hippo writes, and with this we will close. We read in the gospel that our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. In Christ, you were tempted because Christ had taken his flesh from you to give you his salvation. His death from you to give you his life. His insults from you to give you his honor. And the temptations from you to give you his victory.